Welcome to Integrated Brain Health. My name is Dr. Robert Coben. I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and am board certified in QEG technology and neuromodulation. This is our Neuroscience Rounds podcast. You will get a glimpse into our training programs where we talk about neuroscience, technology, neurofeedback, neuropsychology, and other related matters. We hope this helps with your knowledge base and ability to intervene and help patients successfully. On to the podcast. Hello, welcome to Neuroscience Rounds. I'm Dr. Chrissy Snyder calling, and this is round eight. We're talking today about the ocular motor system. So let's go ahead and get into it. So first we'll talk about the different ways that your eyes can move. So they can be elevated, which is up, depressed, which is down, um, abducted, which is away from the nose, or adducted, which is towards the nose. Note that usually one eye is adducted and the other one is abducted. Um, this is just showing the general direction. They also have entorsion and extorsion. So entorsion is when they come together. So if you're looking at something and you kind of cross your eyes, that's entorsion. And when it moves further, that's extorsion. So you're able to do this because there are certain muscles in the eyes. So first we have the inferior rectus, which is at the bottom of the eye. This is the top view looking down. And then you have the medial rectus, which is by the nose on both sides of the eye. You have the lateral rectus, which is on the temporal side of the eye. The superior rectus, which is on top of the eye. You also have some obliques. You have the superior oblique that goes around the top of the eye. It kind of goes into a little fibrous notch here and goes back. And then you have the inferior oblique. And these muscles are innervated by certain, oh, I forgot. When you're moving on the eye, again, some muscles move together. So when you're elevating it, you're using the inferior and inferior, the superior and inferior rectus. And then when you're abducting and adducting, you're using the medial and lateral rectus. And again, when you're kind of going in, in torsion and extorsion, you use the obliques. Okay, so you're able to move this way because of these three nerves. You had the abducens nerve, the trochlear nerve, and the ocular motor nerve, and they all innervate uh, different kinds of muscles that we'll go through now. And they go to different parts of the brain. So the first we'll go over the ocular motor nerve. It's this cranial nerve three, and it moves most of the muscles. So you have the superior rectus, the medial rectus, inferior rectus, and then the inferior oblique. It also works the eyelid, it does uh, pupil size, and then the shape of the lens. It's whenever you're trying to focus, so it, it carries a lot of weight here. It originates in the midbrain at the level of the superior colliculus. And when you have damage to this nerve, um, you have a certain kinds of uh, characteristics that you're looking for. So it's gonna move the eye down and out. Also, you're gonna have dropping lid and your pupil's gonna be dilated, again, because it uh, mediates all these different movements. Okay, the trochlear nerve, which is cranial nerve four, it innervates a superior oblique muscle, which moves the eye down and out. Um, it originates in the midbrain at the level of the inferior colliculus. And since it moves down and out, whenever you have damage to this nerve, you'll see an upward deviation. And this leads to double vision, and also sometimes people have a head tilt try to offset the deviation of the eye. 
The abducens nerve is cranial nerve six, and this uh, supplies a lateral rectus muscle. So this moves the eye um, away from the nose towards the side of the face. And this one originates up in the pons. So whenever you have damage to this nerve, since it moves the eye away from the nose, usually you'll see a deviation towards the nose. Um, and then again, you'll have some double vision usually. Okay, so we talked about how the eye moves, the eye muscles, and the eye nerves. Now let's talk about specific kinds of eye movements. So we can see about 200 degrees of our field of range of vision, um, but our best vision is in the one degree of our fovea. So the job of the eye muscles is to move the eye so that what we're looking at stays within the fovea. There are two different kinds of uh, movements here. So you have some that stabilizes the eye when the head moves. Um, and this is the vestibular ocular and the optokinetic uh, movements. So vestibular ocular is when it uh, takes vestibular information from the inner ear and the optokinetic takes visual information that helps to keep the eye stable. We'll talk about each of these in a second. Now also, if your head is still, but the object is moving, you have to have movements to um, track those. Those are saccades, and those bring uh, new objects into focus. You have smooth pursuit, which keeps tracking of an object, and then you have vergence, which adjusts the eyes for depth. Okay, so first gonna talk about the vestibular ocular movements. Um, here's our um, inner ear that we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, so what happens is you have afferent neurons in the hair cells of the semicircular canals, and those signal the velocity of the head movements to inner neurons, which then talk to the ocular motor neurons. So it tells you how quickly your head is moving, and then that tells the eyes how quickly, the uh, nerves, how quickly to move the eyes. So you have the three semicircular canals and different axes of movement, and those kind of correspond to the different muscles of the eyes. What's interesting here is that as you're activating some muscles, you have to inhibit other muscles. So if you're looking one direction, for example, you'll have to activate the lateral rectus of one eye and the medial rectus of the other eye. You also have to inhibit the lateral rectus of the opposite side and the medial rectus of this, uh, the first eye. So it does both jobs. It's also important to include the cerebellum that we talked about last week. Um, so the cerebellum uh, contributes to gain. So gain is the amount that the eye moves, um, given the information uh, that it gets from the semicircular canals. Um, yeah, but this is from the, uh, the vestibular cerebellum, which is in the cerebellar flocculus, which is the very bottom. Uh, one thing to note is that this does not respond well to slow head movements. So we uh, learned, we talked about the vestibular system, about how there's fluid in the ears. If you move your head fast, and that uh, liquid gets moved fast, but if you move very subtly, it doesn't move as much, and so the information that the system gets is attenuated. Luckily, there's another option. You have optokinetic movements that work really well with slow head movements. So uh, when you're moving, there are some stable aspects of the environment, like trees and buildings, and they'll move in the opposite direction of the way the head moves. So that signals to the eyes to move in the direction of the objects and not the head. So it'll move opposite the head. So you move your head this way and the eyes move that way. Um, this is um, what happens when you have that sensation when you're sitting in a car and the car next to you, you're at a stoplight and the car next to you moves forward and you're like, did I just move back? That's this. So anytime there's movement um, picked up, it assumes that you're moving um, and that's not the case when you have that, 
um, sensation. So now we're going to move on to um, not when your head's moving, but when the object's moving. So you had saccades, and these are the quick movements of the eyes that jump around the scene. So for example, when you look at uh, this little girl's face here, uh, most people will start looking at the eyes mostly, and then you're going to jump to areas of contrast around the scene. This is an eye tracker of um, when someone's looking at the um, picture here. Um, this can be in response to the item moving, so you can jump and follow it. Also, if you hear something or feel something, you can definitely move your eyes quickly to see it. Also, if someone says, where was something, then you can move it based on memory. Um, it can go up to 900 degrees per second, and it just depends on how far the eye has to move. Okay, so this is our uh, brain region here. So when you have horizontal saccades, um, this region here, the pyramidian pontine reticular formation is, is responsible for that. And again, I just wanted to reiterate the fact that this is kind of a bad drawing um, that I found online, but so this is the uh, pontine reticular formation. It basically, again, is activating the, some muscles. So if you're looking leftwards, the left lateral rectus and the right medial rectus will be activated. And then the right lateral rectus and the right and left medial rectus will be inhibited. So the pontine reticular formation is responsible for activating the right muscles and, inhi and inhibiting the wrong muscle or the other muscles. For vertical saccades, you use the medial, longitud medial longitudinal fasciculus here. When you have diagonal eye movements, they both kind of work together for that. Um, again, this is mediated by the cerebellum and the flocculus. So if you have a weak eye muscle or something, the signal that is sent might be insufficient. So then the cerebellum takes note of that so that when you move your eye the second time, it gives a stronger signal. Um, just a side note here, the vermis, so the middle part of the cerebellum, deals with pupil size. Okay, so we're just going to track the pathway here for saccades. Starts in the supplemental um, eye fields, goes to the frontal eye fields, down to the superior colliculus, the caudate, and the substantia nigra. Again, we talked last week about how this pathway um, encourages movements that we want and discourages moves, moves we don't want. Uh, then it goes down to the pontine reticular formations and then out to the eye. Okay, smooth pursuit movements. This is when you're following something with your eyes. Um, it is voluntary, uh, requires moving stimulus so that you can um, calculate the proper eye velocity. This can go about 100 degrees per second. Um, this degrades with drugs, fatigue, and alcohol. So if you see this, the field sobriety test where they're asking you to follow the pen or the lights, this is what they're looking for. They wanna know that if there's exaggerating jerking at the end of the movements, um, if the jerking occurs too soon, like within 45 degrees of movement, and then if you cannot follow it smoothly, that's indication that you are um, drunk. So that's what they're looking for there. Just gonna follow this pathway here. Starts back in the striate cortex. It goes up to the motion sensitive part of the superior temporal area, up to the frontal eye fields, and then down to the reticular formations. Again, also the cerebellum is involved. It, um, tells it how fast to move, there's movement velocity. And then last but not least, vergence. This is the only one where the eyes move in opposite directions. So again, when you're moving something towards you and your eyes kind of cross or moving away, um, they kind of diverge, that's vergence. And this is mediated by the midbrain ocular motor nucleus. Okay, so now for some clinical implications. 
Humans rely on vision for information intake more than any other sense. In order to consume visual information, we must be able to direct our eyes to regions of interest and keep the object of interest in the phobia. This requires appropriate function of the extraocular muscles that we have been discussing today. Essentially, information needs to hit the retina and stay there long enough to be processed appropriately. As such, we need to be able to generate appropriate saccades and fixate on information of interest. However, if there is trouble with the extraocular muscles or the neurons that direct them, then either the information does not get input into our nervous systems at all, or what is input into the system is insufficient, and as such cannot be processed efficiently. Many researchers, many researchers believe that this may be the case in dyslexia. Dyslexia is a learning disorder characterized by difficulty in reading, spelling, writing, or speaking despite having average intelligence. In general, they have trouble matching sounds to letter symbols. For example, they frequently confuse lowercase b's and d's. Also, the sequence of letters and or sounds get confused so that cat may be perceived as tech. Researchers believe that good control of the ocular motor system is essential for reading, um, specifically saccades, fixations, and convergence. However, many studies have found that dyslexic children struggle with these motor skills. For example, studies have found that Greek dyslexic children have a high number of regressive saccades, so looking back at what you've already read, and they have unstable fixations. English dyslexic children have frequent saccades of smaller amplitude, so they don't move as far, and they have longer durations of fixations. Italian dyslexic, dyslexic children have frequent fixations with longer durations, and German dyslexic children uh, have slower reading speed and higher number of saccades and regressions. In general, there seems to be an agreement that the dyslexic population has poor binocular coordination during prolonged fixation and poor eye alignment during fixation. More specifically, reading with the two eyes requires appropriate vergence of the eyes on material that is relatively close to the face. So the fusion of the two retinal images requires a convergence between the angles of the two eyes to be well adjusted. I'm sorry, well adjusted. Dyslexics seem to have a hard time with this in particular. Brain injury is another example of a clinical situation in which the ocular motor system may not be functioning appropriately. Indeed, TBI patients can suffer from a number of visual symptoms. For example, loss of visual acuity, photophobia, which is the fear or aversion to bright lights. This is frequently comorbid with migraines. If alterations in color vision, deficits in stereopsis, which is uh, depth perception. You have pupillary responses that are disturbed. Accommodation, which again is the ability to focus on things at different distances, is disturbed. Uh, for example, they'll um, often exhibit convergence insufficiency which is where the eyes drift apart when they should be converging to focus on objects that are close up. Eye movement dysfunction is also reported in about 90% of TBI patients suffering from concussion or blast injury. Uh, specifically, the conjugate movements, which uh, is when the eyes are supposed to move in unison, are, are uh, affected. TBI patients also have trouble with saccades. They have position errors. Uh, that reduce saccade amplitude so they don't move as far as they should and they have longer durations so they take longer to get there. They also have problems with smooth pursuit movements where they have trouble following a moving target. 
Uh, they may, there may also be loss of the vestibular ocular reflex. So when the head moves, the eyes don't move to compensate. In addition, patients who have suffered whiplash and car accidents frequently have nystagmus, which is uncontrolled eye movement. Well, that was Ocular Motor Movements. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to subscribe to the Neuroscience Rounds podcast for future episodes. You might also enjoy our sister podcast, Let's Head On, with myself and Dr. Ann Stevens, where we discuss the interaction between neuroscience, neuropsychology, and physical and mental well-being. Please feel free to reach out to us at integratebrainhealth.com.